Welcome to Heavy Networking from the Packet Pushers. Today is a sponsored episode, and the sponsor has brought a customer to talk about the topic, which is SD-WAN and SASE, or the Secure Access Services Edge. Our sponsor is Aruba Networks. They're an HPE company. The customer is First Bank. That's a regional bank headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and we're going to talk with Mark Ashworth. He is the Chief Information Security Officer at First Bank, and our guest from Aruba is Damon Ennis. VP of Engineering. Uh, folks, welcome to Heavy Networking. And Mark, let's start with you. Can you briefly give us a little background on First Bank, so the kind of services you provide, number of branches, that sort of thing? Yeah, thanks for having me. First Bank was founded in 1910. is based in Creekcore, Missouri. It's a fourth-generation family-owned bank and one of the largest family-owned banks in the nation. The company operates in five states, providing premier business, commercial, and personal banking solutions to clients in California, Illinois, and Missouri. We also have mortgage services in Nebraska and Kansas. Okay, so five states, so a significant presence, and the WAN is going to play in here significantly as we move into the discussion. But Damon, I also just want you to say hello. Yeah, hi. My name is Damon Ennis. I'm VP of Engineering for the Aruba Edge Connect product family. All right. Uh, so, Mark, back to you. Uh, what kind of applications and services are you providing to end users that requires the WAN? Yeah, so uh, first off here real quick, uh, the reason why that kind of I'm on here is not only am I over security, but I also have the network services group, So, which brings in all the SD-WAN stuff, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so we ended up, all of our core banking solutions goes in through the, our WAN, through our SD-WAN products, and everything from internet browsing to core banking, mortgage, uh, you know, you name it, we have to provide it down there. We do... Uh, you know, video, you know, especially now with a lot of uh, a lot of people working from home and or working remotely and all the conference calls and stuff. So, you know, voice, audio, everything goes through that WAN. OK, so you've got banking apps and typical business apps. Yep. Now, there's an unusual uh, uh, grouping there. You've folded the networking and the security team together. Is there any particular reason for that or is it just one of those evolutionary things? I, I think it was an evolutionary. It was like that when I came on board, but mm-hmm. there's really, when you think about it, there's so many synergies between networking and security, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because security is analyzing the package while networking is monitoring it and everything else too. Mm-hmm. And when those guys in the networking team are monitoring the network and looking for, you know, things going out of place during those times, because they're constantly watching it. A lot of times they might even come up with an anomaly that they'll hand off to security. Right. Or, or also when we were doing uh, like an instant response, uh, we're going to them and and they're pulling us the packet captures while uh, the security team's doing something else and Mm -hmm. then, and then helping us with the analysis and stuff. So it's been a very good fit. And I was, at first I was like, why is this? And you know, this doesn't make Mm. sense, but then uh, you know, the first instant will tell you pretty quickly, Hey, this makes really good sense. (laughs) (laughs) There's always been two approaches to my mind. One is the approach where security, uh, it was the policy and the review arm, and the network was most often the enforcement. Mm-hmm. And they were often separated so that the two could be, so that collusion couldn't happen. And the idea was that one was the check and the other one was the balance, whichever way you wanted to look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And But it also makes sense to bring them together or to unify them, as you says. And I think going forward, I think networking and security will get much more aligned because the network will remain the enforcement for most security policies. As the network moves closer to the edge, security moves to the edge as well. And I wonder if you feel that that 
might have given you an edge during I'll ask you this question again at the end but you know I do wonder if this has given you an edge in the working down the SD-WAN SASE path oh absolutely and you know we've adopted some time ago the uh, the zero trust model and and so you know the micro segmentation and all that I mean who better guys or team what better team I should say uh, will manage the segmentation than the networking teams, right? right. And so in, in correlation with uh, the security team to help uh, provide those policies and the direction and the guidance, and then the networking team to actually, you know, maintain and, and control those. It, it's just a great fit all the way around. And then having mm-hmm. those rolled up on, under uh, the CISO makes a lot of sense in my mind. So. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about your application mix. Uh, we know financial institutions tend to take security and privacy very seriously, and that can affect cloud adoption. Uh, is First Bank using the cloud for anything? Yeah, so most of our systems are not on-premise. You know, they're a, a SaaS-type model one way or another, and whether it's a private cloud or public cloud. And then, you know, the remaining systems we're looking at uh, you know, migrating those up into the cloud over the next few years and, and really uh, controlling and isolating them as much as possible. So, you know, it's being done with security first. And it's not an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Uh, my team owns the cloud uh, from that perspective. And so before the, any of the other teams can touch it, all the security controls are put in place, which we're really fortunate with that. That was the direction taken from day one versus having to kind of go back in and have to make a bunch of corrections that could, you know, delay production or projects and stuff. I'm actually, frankly, kind of astonished that you'd say 95% of your application mix is like SaaS or public or private cloud. I would expect it almost to be the opposite for a financial services company. Yeah, it's really quite I, I think it's more typical now, uh, especially with, you know, the smaller banks and everything because of, you know, the, the services that's out there and provided. And then it, it really re, uh, mitigates or transfers some of the risk onto the provider to mm-hmm. control that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the staffing is, you know, always an issue and it's so difficult to find uh, IT staff anymore that, you know, a lot of ways it makes a lot of sense to allow someone else to host that for you. As the chief information security officer, were you sort of pro-cloud or anti-cloud or did you have to have your mind changed in any way? Well, before coming on board here, I was in aerospace and and in aerospace, it's it's really, you know, kind of almost anti-cloud in a lot of ways, <laughs> just because the regulations and stuff is, is pretty harsh, right? Mm. And uh, and so I was more probably anti-cloud. So uh, the first little bit that I was on board here, it was a little bit of a mind shift for me. Uh, it wasn't anything that I was necessarily against it. It was just I wasn't used to dealing with it. So, uh, so yeah, it was a little bit of a mind shift. But you, in looking at the cloud, you felt like between the controls that the cloud provider had and the controls that you could provide, you felt like you could get your arms around it and be comfortable with it. Absolutely. Yeah, that wasn't a problem. How much of that um, traffic is going direct from your bank retail locations directly to the cloud and how much is getting backhauled? So all the traffic's being backhauled or, okay. yeah, I would say all the traffic. Yeah. Uh, we do have a, a couple of scenarios where we break that out from a couple of branches because of 
a uh, one particular application is located on the West Coast. And so those over the West Coast, why should they come to the Midwest just to bounce back? Mm-hmm. And so the application was a little sensitive on latency. And we were also having some performance issues on the back end systems of that provider. So to mitigate that, we just broke it out uh, at a couple of key locations uh, that we had. Uh, so from a from a security point of view, allowing traffic direct to the internet can be a concern because usually you want to log it or monitor it mm-hmm. or to monitor that sort of access. So, and then you also don't want to start having corner conditions where just this place gets a special thing because then those sorts of things start to pop up all over. Oh, well, we'll do a special over here and a special over here. Did you find that the SD-WAN tools or the Silverpeak SD-WAN tools kept that under control? Like, were you able to sort of say, yeah, this will work, but my policy is not breached or, or uncontrolled at this point? Yes, it was twofold because one of the SD-WAN and then two application-specific, since we at that site we had static IP addresses um, because we had fiber at those locations, we were able to then whitelist for the application itself to where it would only allow it from, you know, approved sites. Um, but the flexibility of being able to do that with just a couple of clicks within the SD-WAN environment makes it very simple and allow us to do that. And the other thing too is other applications where you know maybe Office or uh, or uh, Webmail or something along that line, it makes it very easy because you know you're allowing for that traffic to be. Uh, broken out at the site mm-hmm. rather than having that backhauled just to be, you know, broken or just to be sent out anyway. And since it's controlled, it's approved app, it makes a lot of sense to be able to do that. And you still have the refinements within the firewalls within the SD-WAN uh, to uh, allow for that to take place and to be able to still monitor for activity if you need to. So can you give us a sense of what your SD-WAN deployment looks like? Do you have appliances at each Bank branch and other offices. How does it, how does it look? Yeah, so we have rough, uh, say roughly a hundred offices, just to keep it simple, and uh, we have an, uh, a see it's the ultra small version of the uh, Silver Peak uh, that is at most of those branches. We do have the smalls in a couple of them where there were larger branches uh, and. We wanted some redundancy within there because of maybe executives are there or, you know, a couple hundred people. Uh, so we, we do have a little bit of variance. And then, of course, we have at both both of our data centers and up in the cloud, we have appliances there that all of the branches will connect back into for redundancy. Uh, so if one data center goes down, it automatically fails over to the other without without drop packet. Uh, we also have a couple of vendors where we actually have them in their data centers to provide, um, you know, FEC and everything else to provide basically better quality of service, especially with our voice over IP provider. Okay, now this is really interesting, if you don't mind. I just want to dig into that a little bit. So what you're saying is you have some sort of third-party service that you would normally have connected to over an MPLS service or some sort of direct connection. And you have replaced that with the Silver Peak SD WAN to get better performance. Are you still using the MPLS, or are you just moving to internet bandwidth only? We moved away from MPLS about three years ago, so we're just direct internet 
And RingCentral is our uh, VoIP provider. And so we have in their data centers, we have our Silver Peak devices in there. And all of our locations connect in via that Silver Peak device. That's a huge advantage, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> because <laughs> you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to pay for MPLS, right? Yeah. And I'll bet you got more bandwidth than you ever got before. And mm-hmm. likely... Uh, but you tell me, but I suspect you're actually getting better voice quality. Yeah, we're getting better voice quality. Uh, we are saving, you know, millions of dollars annually by not having MPLS. Uh, we basically, uh, when we went to SD-WAN, uh, the turnaround that we had for, or the ROI that we had for that project and moving off of MPLS to you know, broadband, DSL, a handful of fiber connection, fiber internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we turned, we paid for the project in about 20 months. Wow. So, you know, this was a multi-million dollar project and we saved that much off of MPLS in 20 months. Did you have the finance department carrying you around on their shoulders like a champion? <laughs> no, you know, they're always asking, how can you save more money, right? So that. <laughs> Yeah. I always advise customers to not do too much in the first pass so that you can save money a couple of like so you can keep pulling it back. Like don't don't replace all your MPLS, do a bit at a time so you can get the kudos of cutting the cutting the spend year on year, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I guess that's one way of doing it, right? <laughs> it's a little bit cynical, but you know, it yeah. actually works weirdly. Nobody yeah. remembers that you had a 50% cut in costs last year. <laughs> Because now you have to do it again this year. No, was, That's right. Uh, it's, yeah. it's like, so you've got to play your cards right if you're going to, you know. Uh, I'm joking, by the way. Don't do that. Um, I think the I think another advantage of the internet uh, that a lot of people forget in this situation is that it's any-to-any connectivity. You can put any branch anywhere and they can connect to this SD-WAN that you've got. And you don't need to care where the branches go anymore, just so long as they can get a, a good enough internet connection. And even then, it's not even that good, right? Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, for the most part, you can do that. And yeah. it really depends, obviously, on what type of applications and the, and the load on there, right? Uh, you know, for a basic ATM, you could literally drop an ATM anywhere, put a, a cellular 4G cellular device on there and you're good to go. I mean, you could do that however long it takes to get the ATM in there. Uh-huh. Uh, your other locations, uh, you know, a, a small branch of one to three people, you know, a, a single DSL with, you know, I would still do an LTE for a backup, but you could run very easily off of that. Yeah, the, the uh, other part of that, Mark, right, is that it's instantly on, right? It, you don't have to mm-hmm. wait for MPLS to be provided. You grab it day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're in California, it seems like. So we, <laughs> we've had the worst time trying to get, uh, get a decent circuit in California, but uh, it seems like they're always across the street and $300,000 later, you know, that they want to try to charge you to get across the street, you know, cause it's a, <laughs> an eight lane, eight lane street, you know? Uh. So, but, uh, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, as long as you have uh, DSL or some sort of broadband, it, mm. you can turn, turn the site up very, very quickly. So Mark, there are a million SD-WAN vendors out there. How did you land on Silver Peak, which is now Aruba? Did you do like a proof of concept? Did you trial a bunch of different products? Yeah. So when I came on board, uh, they had been doing proof of concepts for about four or five months. They were going through, you know, all the big ones, um, you know, Aruba, Cisco, um, 
um, they had Riverbed, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Meraki, all all of them out there that they were looking at. And when I came on, um, I had a vendor. He, we met right when I first started, and he was like, "Well, um, what sort of projects?" And I told him, and he's like, "Well, have you heard of Silver Peak?" And I go, "No." So we brought Silver Peak on. It was pretty much, I think, the last vendor that we had. And they were the only ones during our test that we, when we would go to unplug a circuit and, you know, take it hard down, we didn't drop a packet. We didn't drop part of the voice call or anything along that line. Uh. So they actually did what everyone was saying that they could do. Right. That's <laughs> kind of so, the whole point of SD-WAN. That's, that's right. And so, um, and we were able to also do that with cellular and without any issues. And so, you know, they basically, they d- did everything that they said that they could do. And, and then, so then for us, it was a matter of, okay, do we want on-prem uh, management or do we want cloud-based? And so we went with their cloud-based orchestrator, which I think we were one of the first ones to be on that, which was a little risky, but it turned out to be really good. Mm. And uh, we're very happy that we did that because, uh, you know, our guys, they could be, you know, out and about and pull it up on their cell phone, put in their 2FA and and then here they, uh, you know, they could fix an issue and not have to log in, you know. So uh, that was that was huge. And then just the amount of intelligence and everything that we got from it was great. You, you, that's an interesting point. This idea that operating the SD WAN supports a remote, a distributed work. Like I like to think of the future of work as not remote working; it's distributed. The, I think that going forward, most workers will not be in the office most of the time. People will still work in the office, but the emphasis will shift to doing stuff out of the office much more. And this idea that SD WAN enables distributed work wherever you are, you know, you can send these micro devices, the micro SD WAN devices to people's homes at fairly modest cost and get the improved performance and all the logging and the office connectivity. But you can also operate them from anywhere. The administrator is able to work distributed, a home, coffee shop, or whatever, and administer the users without actually having to be stuck in a in a knock or a sock or a you know whatever that in some mystical place where the ip addresses are permitted yeah absolutely i I mean they could be anywhere and you know the one thing that 2020 has told us is that everyone could be anywhere at any time right? right and having those devices out there and providing you know secure connectivity uh, you know, it's just invaluable. And and then just the overall flexibility of them is really, you know, really a great thing. So you, you, you touched on secure uh, networking there. Do you, so your assessment, obviously you're running this, you've been doing it for three years now. Your assessment is that SD-WAN is secure. At least through the product that we use, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it, I know that sounds like a weird question, right? But a lot of people got, it wasn't so long ago that a, a security professional would go, oh, you mean my data's going on the internet? Yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But it's encrypted. No, can't have it going on the internet. It has to go on. Uh, but you're saying as far as, you know, from your analysis and review, you've got no reason to send stuff, no reason to be concerned from a security posture point of view. No, and, and really, it's double encrypted. So, uh, so yeah, I have I have no issues off of it. And whether you do it through MPLS, which you know, there's some slight risk there, right? But mm-hmm. uh, but whether you do it there over the internet, it really doesn't matter because you're uh, through the through the Silver Peak solution. 
you know, you're encrypted and you're controlling the encryption and not the provider. And that's the big thing there. So, right. <laughs> and Billis doesn't have encryption. It's just assumed secure. It's not provably <laughs> secure. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you're you're backhauling a lot of traffic, but there are some branches or sites where you will break out locally to the internet depending on latency requirements and the app requirements. In setting up all these policies, did you or your team find it complicated or because this is you've got a controller to reach out to all the devices, was it a little easier than maybe it would have if you had to go and touch each device individually? Oh, it only takes seconds to do it, really. You know, so the first time getting used to it, obviously, you know, you have to test it out a little bit more and stuff. But, uh, you know, to break out a, a certain uh, URL or protocol or whatever or application, it, it's simple to do. And you could apply it globally or to the individual site. So we try to on those breakout ones, uh, we try to keep it if we're going to do it, we try to keep it global. Uh, however, you know, we do have like that one application to where most of it's backhauled, but we'll route, uh, you know, do uh, more zone routing or geo routing where, you know, anyone in California could go to these two sites to break out to that one application. And then if that fails, then you'll come back through the data centers then. Mm-hmm. And are you, because you've got this centralized controller, able to use it for things like visibility, performance monitoring, that kind of thing? And do you like pull logs back into other systems? Yeah, so we we do, you know, being security, right? I want to see everything. So I do have everything coming back into our SIM. and uh, But the networking team uh, does have access to all the built-in reports and dashboards, that, and plus they've made custom ones and, and everything else in there to do the type of analysis on the traffic that they need to in troubleshooting. Mm-hmm. Okay. You also and mentioned Mark. Do you use any of the um, any of our advanced segmentation uh, built-in features? Yeah. So we do segment off like IoT devices, and and as we are micro segmenting the uh, the networks at the branches, we're doing that via the Silver Peaks, and so we're controlling that segmentation uh, that way. So yeah, we're definitely utilizing the uh, the segmentation rules. I want to drill into that a little bit. So what you're saying is you're actually classifying user traffic differently from say non-user IoT. So if you've got a uh, some sort of device uh, security devices in the building, like physical security for doors or for cash or stuff like that, you're actually segmenting that at source and handling it differently. Or you, how are those segments set up? <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's when I need probably one of my guys to get into the specifics. But okay, yeah. uh, but basically, uh, yes, we are we are taking that traffic and uh, both at the switch level and at the Silver Peak. So at the switches, we we have some ACLs to make sure nothing. Right. Okay. Yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, but I believe they've switched that in the latest versions of that, where all the routing goes into the Silver Peak, and then. From there, the Silver Peak says, okay, local PC, no, you cannot get to that subnet. Mm. Uh, but that subnet can talk back to this controller back in HQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we that have control- some, some very advanced uh, first packet IQ, we call it, to identify yeah. applications on the very first packet um, of the flow that we see. And that's, um, there, there's a whole bunch of techniques that go into that. A lot of it is cloud-based where we've got, think of it as sort of an internet dictionary of, um, of every single website out there. 
that the devices download those um, destination IPs every single day and check against that. And then we can combine that with DPI techniques and a whole bunch of other heuristics as well. So we can tell immediately, is this um, a ring sender uh, voice over IP application? Or is this Office 365? Whatever it may be. And then yeah. you can use those application definitions to build out your security policies to, to your heart's content. You must also be excited about the acquisition. So Silverpeak joined the HPE organization and particularly the Aruba networks. And Aruba, of course, has got a very strong presence in the campus. You must be excited about the opportunities for integration and cooperation between those families and building out a branch networking solution that really integrates that micro-segmentation and security functionality as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with, with the acquisition by Aruba HPE, we can really span the whole, whole portfolio from whether it's um, someone logging in using VIA, which is the Aruba VPN solution, through the SD branch solution that is currently in play where there is um, uh, central control of both wired and wireless networks through to the SD-WAN Edge Connect solution that came by the Silver Peak um, acquisition all the way through the network. So all the way, you know, client to uh, branch to data center to cloud is covered by the full portfolio of products. So yeah, excited is definitely one word to use. Mark, back to you. You mentioned ATM machines. There was also talk about network segmentation. So I'm wondering, is um, IoT a thing? I presume you've got like security cameras and ATMs and maybe alarm panels and so on. Does that where is that where micro segmentation ties into? Yes. So with those, we isolate those to their own networks and then allow just the necessary access to there. So yeah, those are some good examples of where we would segment that. The other areas would be, uh, you know, we we restrict you know, just what's needed to go across the network and nothing else, nothing more. So mm -hmm. we're seeing the term SASE or secure access services edge crop up. Um, Damon, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll start with you. Um, what's Aruba's take on, on SASE? Well, you know, our view is that the uh, security perimeter is definitely dissolving, right? Just you guys just talked about all the people that are working from anywhere versus working from home necessarily or working from the office. And so with, with, with that changing, you know, security and networking have to go hand in hand. And um, if, if you've got a solution uh, like Silverpeak Aruba Edge Connect uh, deployed at the edge, you can really make those decisions exactly where you need to do them, where you can intercept all the traffic. Right. Uh, if you think about an IoT device, there's no way to put a traditional security agent on that device. Um, you know, so you need to be able to intercept that traffic at the edge and uh, make a decision on: Is this something I can trust and allow onto my network? Is this something that needs to get backhauled to the data center for further inspection? Is this something that needs to go to a cloud-based security solution uh, for further inspection? There. So, our view on it is, uh, as I said, you know, pushing that decision out to the edge and then offering the customers um, the freedom of choice to decide what kind of further inspection they need. Um, do they need, you know, a cloud-based security and from which vendors would they like to procure that solution? And then we make it as simple as possible to integrate with that solution so that it works from, from day one. Okay. So if I wanted to use a third party, you know, CASB or whatever, you can help me with that integration. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a number of those that are up on our website. Um, and, you know, we provide very deep integration with those uh, with those vendors as much as possible. We want to be able to leverage their APIs to make that connectivity as simple as possible. But we've also got a number of other techniques where we can we can connect without using APIs as well. 
The advantage of that is that I can choose which CASB I want to use. There's a, a whole raft of different companies providing that service, a whole bunch of companies that used to do something else that are now suddenly cloud security brokers. Yes. Uh, you know, it's the fashion, you know, the Coca-Cola of, of, our, of the time for the security companies. And I, one advantage of the, the, the Aruba Silver Peak approach is that I get to choose whichever one I like, really. Exactly. Yeah. So, Mark, then uh, you mentioned you're still backhauling lots of traffic to your data centers to presumably run through security services. Are you looking at cloud-delivered security? Is that on your roadmap, or are you using it? Yes. Well, I think a lot of companies will be, and at some point here soon, especially as the remote workforce you know, becomes more permanent on a larger scale, because it makes a lot of sense to do that and still being able to keep those controls and insights within there. And uh, we will be, or we have been, and then we've kind of deferred the project to later in the year, but we'll be looking more into other SASE related uh, solutions and, and uh, you know, if possible, because a lot of them utilizes Silver Peak as part of that. And if we can uh, build that into the, the solution overall, then that would be great. Okay. What do you see as the value for getting a cloud delivered security service? So all around, just just the ability to uh, provide that monitoring that that you don't necessarily get whenever, or it's more difficult to obtain whenever they're off premise, and especially if it's a um, you know always on connectivity and just you know the, the overall you know being a security guy, I like to control things, right? So I like to be able to control <laughs> you know and, and see what's happening on those company devices, and so if we can do that uh, with SASE. And still, you know, make sure that when they're offline and off network, that they're not going out to sites that they shouldn't be going to or downloading things that are uploading things that's violating DLP uh, and being able to react quicker to that. And that's uh, that's all the better. So would you be looking to, I guess, go with third parties to, or are you more like I want, uh, I guess, it's are you best of breed approaching this or more of I want one sort of throat to choke or hand to shake, which is the nicer way to say it? Well, right now, I don't think there's a single throat to choke right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I, I think it more comes down to just our business need and what risk that we're wanting to put in with it. And, you know, there's several good solutions out there, some of them that integrates, you know, some of the tools that we have, like Silver Peak or whatever. And then others are, you know, uh, more standalone proprietary. And so it, it really depends. And, you know, we're really trying to define what exactly that we're looking for and looking at the overall solution. And then obviously cost is always a factor, you know, so, uh, you know, because there's a lot of you know, costs built into the current infrastructures of mm-hmm. organizations. And so now to um, to provide a different form of basically, let's call it VPN solution back into your environment, uh, you know, you be able, have to be able to cost justify that. And, you know, if it's a $200,000 solution for, you know, 500 users, does that make sense whenever you have the infrastructure there and the licenses? And, mm-hmm. and so, and can you get, the other controls put in place a lot less, well, then you might want to do that. 
So, you know, it, it really all depends. And, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of change in that SASE environment mm-hmm. here over the next you know year or two, because there's a lot of great companies coming up, which is going to lend itself to acquisitions and, and then integrations with other products, too. So, uh, you know, really trying to pick that right one and hoping that, you know, the right a big guy buys the the little guy type thing, right? (laughs) I'm curious, you you know, you said as a security person, you like to have that control. Could you see if you got comfortable with uh, SASE or CASB or whatever cloud-delivered security model uh, getting rid of this backhaul architecture? I I don't think it would be Mm -hmm. cost-justifiable to do that. And then... Um, you know, I, I know the backend infrastructure is going to change, you know, over the next few years and will probably become more efficient and, and, you know, less data center space, but how is that going to, you know, benefit us from the SASE side and, uh, and, unless the, the cost from the environment, your on-premise environment, if you can justify changing that to where the SASE can then fit in better. You know, it's kind of like the whole uh, uh, virtual desktops. You know, there's a good time to do that and there's a bad time. Bad times when you just got done swapping out all your new PCs and spending millions (laughs) of dollars on that, that's a bad time to do that. But if you time that with a, a replenishment, then that's a good time that you might, you know, to where you can potentially cost justify it. So it really, you know, it could be a timing factor off there where, you you know, and if two years from now, uh, the environment is still that, you know, majority of the workers or half the workers or whatever is still remote, uh, then it might make sense to do that. But if within two years, if, you know, 50, 70% of the people that's currently working remote comes back in the office, it might not justify that large of an investment. Kind of. Yeah, it's hard to know quite what the future looks like, whether, and I think it'll vary from company to company. And I think mm-hmm. even within the company, it'll vary from different business units. Sometimes it makes sense to be more in the office and less at home and so forth, or less, mm-hmm. less remote. So it's going to evolve. Um, I wanted to turn the conversation back to cloud. Now, you talked a lot about having SaaS. That sort of sounds like, and I think I want to ask the question if I'm right. When you do cloud networking, you're not hosting services inside of cloud. You're not deploying containers and developing apps. You're consuming SaaS services where you you get a service presented to you and you consume that. Is that correct? Or are you doing both? So for the most part, when I'm saying SaaS, um, the provider maintains everything and we just we have a secure access into that environment in order to uh, attain access to the application. Okay. So um, now we are doing things internally from a, you know, moving some systems that are uh, uh, on-premise and we'll be looking at creating uh, a cloud type solution, you know, in our private cloud uh, for those as an alternative. But you're not looking at like infrastructure as a service where you'd build it yourself in an AWS or a Google, et cetera? Uh, not at this time, no. So just use an example, not saying you use them, but Salesforce, if you wanted to do your CRM, you'd go to a SaaS provider and get it from them. Right. Okay. Right. Making sure you've got an encrypted connection to them, doing multiple authentication for users and all that, but you're satisfied with those kind of security control. Yeah. And some of them, you know, like our core banking and stuff, you know, that's that's a totally different model, even compared to a, a Salesforce type model and stuff. Mm. You know, we have dedicated circuits going to it and stuff. So it is different on that side, but right. it, 
but we don't host the the core banking systems itself internally. Right. But you still got some magic networking to get there. Yes. You'll have a dedicated MPLS from your data center to their data center that's very closely controlled and monitored, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's, we that's, see yeah. every packet going across there. We're watching that thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine having worked in companies like yours. Um so yes, you're not uh, your digital transformation process sort of sounds like it started in the WAN and at the branch network and that you're sort of moving through the rest of it as it goes along. If if that's a is that a viable statement? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we touched on distributed work. Uh, Mark, I'm going to guess that a chunk of your workforce did have to transition to working remotely or at home. Um, what's your experience been? You were sort of a year into the pandemic now that we're recording this. And, and how do you anticipate things changing going forward? Yeah, you know, fortunately for us, uh, when, what was it, March 11th or March 13th of last year hit, uh, you know, we uh, we went you know, and had 600 people out of a little over a thousand people start from home overnight. And, mm. you know, other than uh, uh, having to get some additional licenses for our MFA, uh, you know, everything else was <laughs> fine. And, you know, the rest of the world was too. So that was, that was a challenge, but, uh, but for the most part, you know, it was more of getting people to, change their work habits and not having printed documents in front of them and teaching them how to use like Adobe reader and you know uh -huh. those sort of things and do things <laughs> on one to two monitors, you know, and at least from a temporary standpoint, some of them just had one monitor to work off of until they, you know, uh, you know, got their second monitor and stuff hooked up. So, um, so, you know, it was more of a change from that perspective that I think some people had a harder time, but after, you know, 30, 60 days, I, I think everyone became accustomed to it. And, and, you know, I, I'm sure a lot, a lot of people, if they want to get back into the office, it's more for the social interaction more so than, uh, you know, the, right. the comfort the, of being the able work to work environment. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this is why I think there's a balance to be found there, and who knows what it'll look like. So, Mark, it sounds like maybe you already had some remote work capabilities set up. You already had folks with a VPN client available, so it wasn't that you know sharp turn of a transition. Is that the case? Yes, that's the case. So pretty much the client itself was built into our image of all of our mobile users anyway, and a lot of them already had the access set up. So that wasn't much of a challenge. It was those that had never worked from home that we needed to shift real quick. Mm -hmm. Those were the ones that we had to, you know, get them quickly processed to, um, and the client installed on their machine, and then they took it home and and those sort of things. So those are the ones that took a little bit more of an effort, but for the most part, I mean, within a couple of days, um, you know, we were we were all working from home. So you, uh, we tend to focus on the technological aspects of this remote work challenge, but it sounded like you mentioned having to train folks to stop printing out documents and use a PDF, which is like the lowest of the low hanging fruit of digital transformation. Was there kind of a cultural or work change that folks had to go through and get accustomed to before they sort of got the flow of it? Yeah, there was definitely some changes for those that, you know, uh, prints off a report and then looks at the very last number off of it and then throws the report away. Right. <laughs> so for them to, you know, get that report that was in a PDF already and then go to look at that or maybe highlight 
you know, certain numbers throughout there in order to consolidate and stuff. So there was some workflow changes off of there. And, you know, I'm, obviously I'm joking, simplifying on, on the number, but, you know, <laughs> but for the most part, uh, you know, there was some changes for those that, you know, do the report analyzing of physical reports and consolidating the information. But, uh, you know, once we kind of went through, I know one lady I walked her through, she'd been doing the printed thing for a decade and, and I showed her that and she's like, wow, I wish I would have done this a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> there you so, go. you know, and people, I think for the most part are conscious about having to, you know, print stuff. And, and so, you know, they, they know it's trees and all that and environmentally it's not good. And, and, you know, we, I think, especially as offices are moving back the the number of printers that's going to be available and all that sort of things, you know, along with office space in general is going to take a big hit on, on the overall volume and, and then, you know, paper for that matter too, unfortunately. So I guess, unfortunately for them, but for, fortunately for the environment. So did, did your IT team have to ramp up in terms of being able to support home workers who are now grappling with, you know, crappy home Wi-Fi or a slow network connection or not being able to find the right applications or even, you know, you guys being worried about security patches and stuff like that? So there was an educational factor that had to take place for those that, you know, started working from home that no, the system is not slow. It's you. <laughs> you know, it, it is that DSL, you know, modem that you have your kids playing Xbox on and they're doing their work from home or, you know, their uh, yeah. remote schooling and everything yeah. else. So, and you're trying to do a video chat with 30 people on there that, yeah, it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's going to be slow. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, there, there is an educational thing there. And, you know, we had a few people that, you know, from time to time, they're like, you know, all of us are having problems with. And so then, you know, we look at the, the environment and it's like, okay, I'm sorry, but it's, it's not the application, you know, from the point of, of, you know, the, our ingress mm -hmm. there's there's no problems there it's between us and you right <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh you know they don't like hearing that obviously you know and and in a couple cases you know we did determine that okay well there was something going on on the workstation itself and that's you know that's off the network then at that point you know that's on to desktop services and the help desk to mm -hmm. you know, resolve those issues and and sometimes it is the workstation you know an update's occurring or bad driver or something along that line. But, you know, most of the time it's, you know, they're, um, uh, you know, it's storming outside and their connections down or, you know, mm. Uh, they're at the end of the 15,000 feet, you know, and so I think, the, I think the fact that you're kind of laughing here and willing to talk about it publicly tells me that you actually had it. It's been successful enough, right? Yeah. It hasn't been flawlessly, seamlessly, you know, follow the yellow brick road singing and dancing. It sounds like it's been had its problems, but it hasn't been like the company's still in business and you're still mm -hmm. delivering services to customers. Yeah. You know, we actually, I, and our CIO said it too, uh, that, uh, you know, the amount of work that we got done last year was probably more work than we did when we were on premise. <laughs> <You know? laughs> with, with the exception of, you know, uh, you know, a, a few years, like when we did core conversions and that sort of stuff. But we really, you know, we really thought when in March and April that it's like, man, we're not going to get any projects done. You know, this is really going to be 
And, you know, especially if it goes throughout the year and, you know, the teams just knocked it out of the park and they did a fantastic job. And, and, you know, and I think partially, you know, they were motivated. They were, you know, if they needed to go, they were hungry, go fix a sandwich, they go fix a sandwich, hustle, you know, you know, they, they, they were balanced that, uh, that work, you know, from home and life uh, really well. And I, I know for my team, uh, you know, I was really stressed and try to stick with the normal hours. You know, if you got to step yeah. away, I don't care, you know, go do what you got to do. Just mm-hmm. trying to stick with the, the normal hours as much as possible. Don't let this creep that you hear, you know, other companies doing where they're, you know, working later and all the other stuff. Um, and you know, it's like, as long as you get your time in, I'm good with that. And, yeah. but be, you know, try to be available during the normal business hours. And, and, you know, they still, you know, on occasion had to go in uh, on site to, uh, you know, do things in the data center. None of that changed, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. and, but that was really no different than what we did before. So the only difference is now you're wearing a mask once you go in and, <laughs> you know, those sort of things. Uh, and there's two meters. You can't, you can't get too close together around the racks for the time being. That's right. Until the vaccine. I also think you must be well prepared for whatever comes next. So the SD-WAN solution, like the Silver Peak SD-WAN solution, and I know there's some technologies that we haven't talked about here, uh, but we talked about VIA, which is the VPN clients, probably gives you the flexibility to not panic about whatever happens. You know, if people come back to the office, you're prepared for that. If people stay distributed, you're prepared for that as well. If people want to be more distributed, even you're prepared for that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the flexibility SD-WAN gives you and, uh, and, you know, VPN and everything in general. I mean, you can, you know, you could be on the golf course literally nowadays, you know, there was always the joke, you know, 15 years ago, well, I'm going to be on the job, you know, but now you can be IT on the golf course, you know, doing that, which I'm not recommending people to do that, but, uh, but you, you could, you know, if you really wanted to. And I don't know. I actually think that's a brilliant idea. I would strongly recommend people to do that. If you can do it from the golf course, do it from the golf course. That's right. right? So, <laughs> you know, like executives I have been working on the golf course for the better part of 50 years. Why not? <laughs> do, do a little no? troubleshooting yeah. from the pub. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I know. <laughs> I know plenty that is at the beach and everything else. So what you know, uh, <laughs> I won't necessarily uh, you know say go to the pub, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that might be a step too far, Drew. I think that's uh, hey, that listen. Be. We all know what happens at hole nineteen on the golf course, so I think, <laughs> I think the pub is fine. <laughs> Um, so let's let's kind of wrap this up maybe with some recommendations for people who are listening and considering SD-WAN or even SASE. Uh, what should they think about? And I'll ask both of you, but I'll, I'll start with Damon. What do you have recommendations for folks? Absolutely. So, you know, you're looking at SASE. I think you got to look at, like I said earlier, security and the wide area network going hand in hand and thinking about digital transformation with the apps moving to the cloud thinking about how you want your security posture to evolve, what you're going to do to secure the people that are working from home, what you're going to do to secure all those IoT devices. And for us, um, again, being that edge solution where we can make those application-based and role-based steering decisions as to what apps and what users need, what kind of performance, what kind of quality of experience, and ultimately what kind of security treatment, that's the core of the decision. So we like to say that WAN transformation is really critical for that digital transformation experience to happen. And you need to take a holistic look at it. 
but you also don't need to change everything at once. You can take one step at a time and move to move at your own pace to get to where you need to be. Right. And, and Mark, to your fellow uh, CISOs and CIOs and other execs, if they're thinking about SD-WAN, any recommendations, uh, suggestions, advice? Yeah, you know, definitely time it with your, you know, in my opinion, time it with your contracts. And mm-hmm. if your MPLS contract's coming up, it's a great time to do it. Um, you know, if not, you could definitely run it on MPLS with not a problem. Um, and you could solely transition. You could have one in MPLS and, and one outside of it and, and then have cellular for your backup. So there's, it's so flexible and allows you to do so many different things. Um, the, the controls that you could be putting in all will just continue to adapt as you are, you know, adding your defense in depth. If you go zero trust or really wanting to fine tune your security controls and analysis, SD-WAN's right there with you and can work with you on that, that part of it as well. It's, you know, it's been great for us and it's been a, not only a cost saver, but it, it, my team works uh, more efficiently. They're spending, you know, less time in the environment. They have more tools readily available all in one platform and not versus, you know, all these other expensive tools to figure out, you know, just what's happening on the MPLS and mm-hmm. the switches and branches and stuff. So it, it's been a, a great experience for us and we'll continue to use it. Well, that does bring us to the end of this episode. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can go to arubanetworks.com. Mark, thank you for joining us. And Damon, thank you. And thank you to Aruba Networks for being a sponsor. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog. That's at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at packetpushers. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.